It's a football season unlike any other. And we're talking about it. This is Judas Football Show. Talking all things NFL and college football on 750 The Game. The options are not good for the Ducks. Fourth down, they throw across the middle. They are going to pitch it back. And here we go. That ball is on the turf. Beavers are going to scoop it up. Go down, and Oregon State will pull off one of the more improbable wins that the Beavers have ever had in the 124-year history of this great rivalry. What a win for Jonathan Smith and his Oregon State Beavers. Now, here's Judah Newby. And welcome in. It is Judah's football show for November the 28th here in downtown Portland. Coming at you live from the PacWest Center here in downtown. Judah Newby with you. Judah's football show, 9 to 11 a.m. Talking all things NFL and college football. What a game last night. I got a big smile on my face thinking about it. And full transparency, I didn't go to Oregon. I didn't go to Oregon State. I'm not a diehard duck and I'm not a diehard beaver. But the game formerly known as the Civil War has always been my favorite day of the sports year. Every single year. I love when Oregon plays against Oregon State. I grew up watching this game. 98 was the first game. That really resonated in my memory. Jonathan Smith's freshman year. The Oregon State, Ken Simonton to the corner of the end zone, wins it at Parker Stadium. Boom. 99, Oregon wins. Beavers back in 2000. Oregon back in 01. It goes back and forth, back and forth in my childhood years. This game and this rivalry meant so much to me, name change notwithstanding. And so to sit back and watch the game last night as a relatively neutral observer when it comes to partiality, but certainly more than interested in just the competitive nature of the football game. This was as enjoyable an Oregon-Oregon State game as I've watched in a very, very long time. I think 08 and 09 were enjoyable given the stakes that were there, right? Rose Bowl bids for the Beavers at stake in 08 and 09. Oregon, of course, spoiling that in Corvallis in 08, winning and going to the Rose Bowl themselves in 09. The Beavers winning in Autzen in 07 in double OT to stuff Jonathan Stewart. And then beating the Ducks in 2016 with Ryan Null carrying them to victory. But for the better part of this century, this rivalry has been dominated by the Oregon Ducks. And you have to say that because they won eight in a row. (laughs) You know, anytime you win eight in a row in a rivalry, you have firm control of bragging rights in this state and that's all been flipped on its head Oregon State 41 Oregon 38 the final in the rivalry game and I'm gonna try not to call it the Civil War intentionally for the better part of this show please forgive me in advance if I do because uh it will probably happen a la San Diego Chargers and name changes of the like but the Beavers have reclaimed bragging rights in this state. Oregon was supposed to be the more talented program, the deeper program, the tougher program. This was not a flash-and-dash Oregon Duck-built program. This was built on grit and toughness and finishing fourth quarters. That's what they were supposed to be built on. Crystal Ball's Oregon program has had its moments when it's faltered in the fourth quarter of games. I think of Auburn. Think of Stanford 2018. But 
they had showed enough resolve and enough strength to be a strong fourth quarter team in the crystal ball tenure. They were not last night. Oregon State, 22 points in the fourth quarter last night to come back and win that game. They were the tougher team. They were the more resilient team. And dare I say, as talented as Tyler Shuck can look at times, especially with his legs, Oregon State had the better quarterback in the game last night. And it was an absolute shocker to me. I'm still shocked as I sit here right now and talking about this game. I'm still shocked that Oregon State won. And it's not because they weren't talented enough to win. They are. They've proved me wrong on that. Even if you just got Jamar Jefferson, I think you're talented to win a lot of football games. Boy, can that guy run the rock. But I did not think that the Beavers would be better than the Ducks in the trenches. On the offensive line, Oregon State moved the Duck defensive line. They moved them. 226 rushing yards for Jefferson. It was An incredible individual effort, but there was space to be had for the man. And that Beaver offensive line did a phenomenal job last night. I don't think enough was made about their effort. Eldridge, the center, outstanding. Beaver offensive line, big hat tip to you. Beaver wide receivers, major hat tip to you. Colby Taylor, I did not know you had it in you. Trevon Bradford, the Oregon City kid. I've always known he was talented, but big eight-catch night for him to go over 90 yards. Leads the team in receptions. Now 15th, actually 20th, I believe, all time on the receiving list at Oregon State. They performed phenomenally well, and Tristan Jebbia showed a lot of grit and a lot of toughness and resilience to win this football game for Oregon State. Obviously, I think the most major hat tip has to go to Jamar Jefferson because he could not be stopped last night. And frankly, I know it sounds strange to say, but I was a little bit surprised they didn't give him the ball more often, particularly down there by the goal line when he had second and goal, I think, from the two-yard line. That's when Jebbia tried to sneak it in from the two. They called that quarterback sneak from the two, and it looked like to me that Tristan got it in, honestly. I really thought he got in on that first quarterback sneak around the left side that ultimately he was called about a couple of inches short. They reviewed it. They couldn't overturn it because there was no you know, confirmable evidence to uh, overturn that call. I thought he got in initially. It ultimately cost him injury, and we'll see if it costs him any further games past this one. I think Jonathan Smith said it was going to be a hamstring for Tristan Jebbia, and so we'll see if it compromises his av- availability moving forward. But uh, it caused him injury. If he's called in on that second down play, the Beavers take the lead right there, obviously, and they don't have to uh, run that third down play where Jebbia gets hurt. I thought they could have gone got, gotten the ball to Jefferson on that second down play or that third down play. Ultimately, both are sneaks. Both don't make it in. And then finally on fourth and goal, which, by the way, shouldn't have even been fourth and goal at that point in the game. It should have been third and goal again because Oregon was clearly offsides. Clearly offsides on the third and goal sneak attempt by Jebbia. And again, they went offsides before the fourth down snap, but man, I've got a I've got bones to pick with Pac twelve officiating crews, it seems like each and every week, but particularly in the game last night. There wasn't an overwhelming amount of egregious calls, but the crucial calls late in the game were very, very questionable. I think they ultimately you know, say what you will about the Jebbia sneak on second down. I thought he got in, but, you know, there wasn't enough evidence to overturn the ruling on the field. 
They ultimately ironed it all out well, but I tell you what, if Oregon State would have lost that football game last night and it happened to end in the end zone, just like it did pretty much at Washington a couple of weeks ago with goal-to-go situations and uh, not getting the first down back up in Seattle because of two questionable spots back-to-back, if that same thing would have happened, I think Beaver fans would have every right in the world to be angry and frustrated, and uh, I'm frankly glad that that did not influence the final result of this game because it saves us a lot of headaches and tearing our hair out talking about Pac-12 referees like we do every week. But they were certainly questionable last night. Uh, It it didn't help things that there were uh, college football pundits and writers and broadcasters chiming in on Twitter from all over the country pointing out the ugly mess that was the end of that football game last night. They were just laughing. Uh, So... You know, that's where the Pac-12 is right now in terms of its officiating and the optics where it stands nationally. Not good. But I'm very grateful that it didn't influence the final outcome of this football game and the Beavers were able to punch that one in on fourth down with Chance Nolan, his first snap as an FBS football player, the transfer from Saddleback Community College. One snap in, it says, all right, hey, man, it's fourth and inches to beat the Ducks. Go in there. Good luck. And Jonathan Smith basically said after the game, I didn't tell him anything. I didn't tell Chance Nolan anything. I just said he was in the game and called a play, and he ran it, and he got it in. Huge play for Chance Nolan. Huge game for Jamar Jefferson. Big resilience from the Oregon State defense. And if you're Oregon, that is a troubling result. Obviously, you never want to lose to your in-state rival, but that is a troubling result. You came into this game as a 14-point favorite. My prediction on this game going in was Oregon 41, Oregon State 27. I was not comfortable touching the spread, but I thought Oregon was going to be able to put up points. The only thing that gave me any, any inhibition was Oregon's turnovers and ultimately shuck through two interceptions One of them proved costly. One of them didn't. The Jaden Grant interception didn't lead to anything for Oregon State. That was one of the bones I picked with with the Beavers. Not their best first half. (laughs) Not Jonathan Smith's best first half or early third quarter, but they came back in a major way. But the second shuck interception that he threw to Nashawn Wright, that did get turned into points. And quickly, a Jefferson rushing touchdown in the Jebbia quarterback draw for the two-point conversion. Outstanding call. And Tristan made some plays with his legs in this football game that were really, really impressive. I didn't know he had that in him. Great, great job for Tristan Jebbia, finding any and every way to win. And you look at the stat line with Jebbia, and it's only, you know, 227 passing yards. I say quote-unquote only because in this day and age of college football, it's not necessarily, you know, something that wows you, 227 in the air. But what does wow me with Jebbia was the zero INTs. And he didn't give up any fumbles, of course. He didn't commit any turnovers. That man, I would take that stat line if you're a Beaver fan every single week from Tristan Jebbia. Give me about 21, 22 completions in your 30 attempts. Give me 220 yards. Give me a passing touchdown and give me no interceptions. You're going to win most games with Jamar Jefferson as your running back. And that's exactly what happened against Oregon last night. Meanwhile, Tyler Shuck, he'll throw for more yards. 
he'll have more, you know, probably sophistication in his screen game. I thought Oregon has a pretty decent screen game, and they've got good scat backs like Travis Dye, even Jalen Red, to be able to pop big yards after the catch. There wasn't a ton of yards after the catch in Jebbia's stat line last night, but he was hitting big guys in stride on some big throws. There was one throw, of course, near the sideline late in the fourth quarter that took Jamar Jefferson to the ground that probably cost Oregon State a first down, but Jebbia picked it up anyway. The very next play on fourth and short, he was able to get that first down. So he was able to make some big throws in that second half, and that was the narrative going into this game. Was Tristan Jebbia going to play well enough, consistent enough, to lead Oregon State to victory? And there were reasonable reasonable concerns that he would be able to do just that. I watched the Cal game the week before that, and Jebbia has got some good moments, but he had some head-scratching throws in that game that resulted in a couple of turnovers. In this game, and there was there was one or two questionable moments. He sprinted out toward out-of-bounds and then really quickly tried to let go of the football before going out-of-bounds, which would have been like a three-yard loss late in the fourth quarter at the time. And they ultimately ruled it incomplete in Jebbia's favor. But I was surprised. It looked to me like he was almost out of bounds before he let that football go. He'll have moments like that from time to time. But in the big picture, when you needed number three to step up for your Oregon State offense, he did just that with pinpoint throws to Colby Taylor and Trevon Bradford on that final drive and a huge, huge fourth down conversion with his legs and a quarterback draw to pick up a two-point conversion late in the game. We'll get back to that two-point conversion late in the show as well because there is some flawed thinking out there about Jonathan Smith and his decision to go for two early in the third quarter. It failed, right? The throw to the back of the end zone, Luke Musgrave was out of bounds. It failed, and I think it was a you know it's reasonable to be critical that it's too early to go for two there. I was there as well. It was 24-19 at the time. A two-point conversion makes it 24-21, but it's early third quarter. You don't necessarily have to do that yet, in my opinion. I thought an extra point there to get to 24-20 would have been just fine. That being said, when they go for two late in the game, or they're, they're driving into Oregon territory, and it's a four-point game, you know, they had already gone for two and made it. And made it when it was 34-31 Oregon State. That makes it a zero-sum game. That makes the two-point conversion that they missed earlier, that makes that a complete wash. Because they would not have gone for two the second time had they just made the extra point the first time. So there were people on Twitter last night when the Beavers were down 38-34 and driving into Oregon territory late in the game, and they were saying, man, that one point looks awful big right now. It should be 38-35 right now. No, it wouldn't have. It wouldn't have been 38-35. You know why? Because... Oregon State wouldn't have gone for two the second time if they had gone for the extra point the first time. That's the math. It was the game situation that dictated the reasoning to go for two. So everybody tries to play this revisionist history, you know, with the Beavers going for two early in the third quarter, and that really cost them late in the fourth quarter. No, it did not. They would have kicked the extra point both times if they would have just had the extra point in hand early in the third quarter. They would have gone for the extra point to take the three-point lead in the fourth quarter as well. So, I don't know. I just had to point that out because there were a lot of people with some flawed thinking, people I respect with flawed thinking on that on social media. But we're off and running in this uh, Saturday's Judas football show, organically reacting to the rivalry game that was Oregon State and Oregon last night. The Beavers winning 41-38. to You can call in with your thoughts as well at 503-417-7575. 
Going to have a couple guests on this morning as well. Tyson Alger from The Athletic. He was there last night. We're going to get his thoughts from an Oregon Ducks perspective. What exactly went wrong for Oregon in this football game? And the first words out of your mouth, of course, are Jamar Jefferson went wrong for the Ducks. We'll try to dig into that a little bit deeper because, man, this Duck defense. I recognize some of the names. I recognize the names on the back of the jerseys. But this is a far cry from the unit that I watched last year. And why exactly is that? And I want to give Andy Avalos a lot of props and a lot of the benefit of the doubt. I think he's an outstanding schematic defensive coordinator. But what's going on? They cannot stop the run. I am not used to seeing a Jordan Scott-led defensive line get pushed. A Kayvon Thibodeau defensive line. I know obviously he plays edge, but still. And he made some plays last night getting pushed in the run game. You know, if you've got a phenomenal freshman linebacker talent in Noah Sewell, which everybody claims that they do, and trust me, the individual efforts that guy makes are outstanding, are outstanding. But maybe he lacks a little bit of discipline in his run gaps. And Isaac Slade Matawatia as well. And multiple guys in that linebacker core. How are you letting Jamar Jefferson get loose for 229 on the ground? And you knew that was the guy you had to stop. I'm I'm still very much confused, in particular by Oregon's rushing defense. And look, they can be had through the air as well. They really miss Thomas Graham. They really miss Javon Holland. And I also think in a game last night, you really miss a Brady Breeze. A Brady Breeze, you know, he knows what this rivalry is all about. He would have showed some big-time toughness. He would have rallied his troops. And I don't know if a Brady Breeze on that defense, and Javon Holland as well, given the talent level, uh, would have allowed what happened last night to happen. There's no doubt the opt-outs hurt this Duck defensive unit. But outside of that, I'm pretty surprised at the production that they put forward so far this year, uh, last night in particular. Tyson Alger will talk about that. We'll get into more big-picture stuff with the Oregon football program as well. And it's just a weird year, you know? It's a weird year. The rivalry felt weird last night. The broadcasts... Man, I, I love Dave Fleming and Rod Gilmore and Shelly Smith, each one of them individually. I think that's a fantastic broadcast team. But that was a tough broadcast to watch. And, you know, put your hand in the air if you're with me. That was a tough broadcast to watch for a few reasons. You know, the fog didn't make it easy. But the fact that, you know, Fleming was in one studio and Gilmore was in another studio and they're not traveling. And then Shelly, bless her heart, was there and just battling out the elements and, you know, each one of those people, especially Gilmore and Shelly Smith, they're cancer survivors. These are tough, tough people. And Shelly Smith in particular has gone through a lot and has continued to work hard and improve her craft. But I felt really bad for her out in the elements last night because uh, she was she was struggling through some of those moments to deliver uh, the sideline perspective and analysis. But it was cold. It was foggy. And if you're a Beaver fan, I guess that's exactly the type of conditions you wanted that football game to be played in because, you know, that's you can thrive in those conditions as well, favoring the ground game, favoring the trench war. And in the end, the Beavers won the trench war against Oregon. A crystal ball-led Oregon program lost the trenches to a Jonathan Smith program. I don't know, man. That That's still, I'm struggling to to understand exactly how that happened. Because the, the Duck offensive line, obviously, it's very talented. It's great. But that defensive line did not win last night at all. 
and I'm pretty shocked that that was the case. Tyson Alger will join us at 9.30, and we got to give some Beaver Nation love at 10 o'clock. Evanson Bernard will join the program, and Evanson will take a victory lap of sorts, and uh, I'm just going to try to get into Evanson's head and have him lay it out for the Portland people as well, where Beaver Nation is at this moment in time after snapping the three-game losing streak to their rival Ducks and what that means for the program. Man, I felt bad. I did feel bad that no fans could have been there last night because that is a big-time victory. And Oregon State fans deserve to experience that moment in full. And unfortunately, because of the pandemic and the world in which we live, they were unable to have that experience. But I can imagine Beaver fans in their respective homes high-fiving, saying, can you believe we just won that game? Ducks suck. Let's go. Uncle who? Even though, obviously, Uncle Phil gives some money to Oregon State as well. But that's beside the point. The Beaver fans were probably enjoying that game as a collective immensely. And if you're a Beaver fan and you enjoyed that game, and let me know your thoughts at 503-417-7575. 503-417-7575. I'm driving my own phone calls today. Limited staff, limited resources available. But, you know, this is how we play in the COVID radio world right now. 503-417-7575. We'll take some of your calls. We'll reset some of the audio from last night. Tyson Alger of The Athletic will join us as well coming up at 9.30. This is Judah's Football Show right here, Sports Radio 750 The Game. Back to Judah's Football Show. Talking all things NFL and college football on 750 The Game. It's going to be a long, long night for his running back, um, Jamar Jefferson. He's one of the best running backs in all of college football. There's the first carry, and there he goes down the sideline. Jefferson, another huge run. He had two of them last week, and he's got one of them already this week for a long Oregon State touchdown, 82 yards. My goodness. Wow. What a run. What a night for Jamar Jefferson rushes himself right into the history books of the rivalry that is Oregon and Oregon State. 226 yards on the ground. His 82-yard rushing touchdown in the first quarter marked the longest touchdown run of his career. It was also the ninth longest run in Oregon State history. He is one of just two players in FBS this season with multiple rushing scores of 75 yards or longer. He did it on the first play from Oregon State scrimmage against Cal last week in the first quarter, took it to the house from 75 out, and then from the uh, first possession of Oregon State's drive against Oregon, he was able to put it in the paint from 82 yards out. He's a special player, man, and honestly, he gets 29 carries last night, and I thought there was a version of this game that could have gotten him like 35 carries and just wore him out. Give Treston Jebbia some credit for uh, being, you know, stepping up and, and making some clutch throws and important throws late in this game when he had to. But Jamar Jefferson, this game belongs to you, my friend. Hat tip to you. Last year did not go the way that you wanted it to go from a production standpoint, usage standpoint. 
But in the offseason, he must have worked really hard and got his mind right and prepared to contribute at a high level going into this uh, football season. Maybe it's his last year at Oregon State. Maybe it's not. But hard to imagine someone with his level of production at this level of Pac-12 football doesn't have some type of NFL future, whether that be a mid-round draft selection, uh, maybe a little bit higher, maybe a little bit lower. But I tell you what, I'm not betting against that guy. Evanson Bernard the famed Oregon State running back himself. He is going to join Judas Football Show coming up at 10 o'clock this morning, so be here for that. I'm going to ask Evanson about what makes Jamar Jefferson great and special and also to give some love to that Beaver offensive line. I think maybe a little bit was made of it during the broadcast last night, but not enough in my opinion. I thought they played excellently and really gave Jefferson a lot of space to work with and to make him look as, as good as he did. That Beaver offensive line came to play in a major way. So did the Beavers receivers. Colby Taylor. I don't know much about this guy, Colby Taylor. But when this Beaver passing game needed an X receiver to rely on, he stepped up in a big way last night. Ended up with seven catches. Went for 114 yards. Some big catches down the stretch in this game as well. And he was a key reason as well that the Beavers were able to come out with this upset win. Colby Taylor, after the game, talked about the mindset of Oregon State going in to that very final drive when the Ducks gave him a shot. Just like the Ducks gave UCLA a shot at the end of the game last week, they gave Oregon State a shot at the end of the game this week. And Colby Taylor made some big plays down the stretch to get that game-winning touchdown on the board. Taylor on the mindset of that drive. Uh, we were ready, man. We were ready. You know, we're always just asking for the defense to give us opportunity. And they gave us that opportunity, and we were able to capitalize and finish. And it was a four-quarter fight, and we got the result we wanted. And it helps to have a player like Jamar Jefferson on your team as well. Colby said, yeah, that guy's special. Hey, that boy's special. Uh, two games in a row, he got his 80-yard touchdown runs, and uh, definitely makes our job a lot easier on the outside. So uh, glad he's my teammate, and uh, it's just a great team win. And there was good, good chemistry in the passing game uh, between Tristan Jebbia and Trevon Bradford, but also Colby Taylor. Taylor said Jebbia has come a long way. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I'm so proud of Tristan. Uh, just proud of the whole team. You know, we kept fighting, and nobody worried, and uh, we detected what we were doing, and we got the result. I can't believe this. 31-19, to you know, when Oregon was leading this game, 31-19, and they ripped off that. That drive, six plays, 74 yards, two minutes, touchdown, Camp Moyer, 31-19. Beavers had already failed a two-point conversion. And I was thinking, man, this is, this is, Ducks are in firm control. In fact, that's the verbiage I put out on socials. Ducks are in firm control. I tell you what, I'm not one that goes back and deletes posts. That is not me. But a Beaver Nation is doing their part and doing an exceptional job at making sure I, uh, I taste a little bit of my own medicine with that post. That game was hardly firm control for Oregon at 31-19. I was led astray by the Ducks when it got to 31-19. I thought they were going to finish that game. I've seen them finish games like that before. I thought they were going to finish that game. They didn't. They collapsed. They collapsed in that game, and Oregon State ripped it right from their noses, right from their bills. The Beavers ripped it from the Ducks' bills last night. Man. Congrats to Oregon State on a massive, massive win and a big program builder. We're going to go away and come back, and we'll dig into a little bit more of what this means for the Oregon program with Tyson Alger, covers the team for the Athletic. He was at Reeser last night. I'm going to ask him as well about the fog. 
What was that like to cover that game from the press box? And did it have any effect on the playability of that game one one way or the other? It seemed like things were a little bit better on field level than they were from up above. But we'll ask Tyson about that. We'll ask him about the Duck defense in particular and the weaknesses that it showed uh, this season and especially last night. And now, how does the program regroup and go forward? Generally, this is your last conference game unless you're making the Pac-12 uh, conference championship game in a normal year. But right now, Oregon's got to regroup. They got, I believe, Cal coming up and then UW after that. There's still more to play for for this Oregon team. So we'll ask Tyson about all that and more. And then Evanson Bernard, famed Beaver running back. He'll talk about Oregon State's big win at 10 o'clock. You're listening to Judah's Football Show, wherever you may be, on this foggy late November Saturday morning in the Rose City, getting an early start on that Christmas shopping getting that Christmas tree, getting that coffee, whatever you're doing, I'm glad you're listening to the show wherever you may be. Tyson Alger of The Athletic joins us next on 750 The Game. Back to Judas Football Show. Talking all things NFL and college football. On 750, the game. All right, welcome back to the show. 750, the game, 9 to 11 a.m., Judas football show. Man, still trying to draw conclusions from last night's football game. Oregon State 41, Oregon 38 as the Beavers pull off the upset as nearly two touchdown underdogs at Razor Stadium. Tyson Alger covers the Oregon Ducks for The Athletic. You can find him on social medias at Tyson Alger. He was at Reeser Stadium last night uh, covering all that action through the mist, through the fog, and uh, wrote an excellent recap on The Athletic, and he joins us right now. Evanson Bernard, by the way, coming up at 10 a.m. on the show later this morning as well. But, Tyson, thanks so much for joining us, man, and uh, we appreciate it after the late night last night. Ah, man, where do you start with this Oregon loss to Oregon State as two touchdown favorites going into Reeser? And I guess I'll, I'll start to, to sharpen the perspective a bit. They knew they had to stop the run and stop Jamar Jefferson, and they were unable to do so last night. How did that unfold from your perspective? Yeah, you know, it, it was one of those games where I, I guess the, the final result might be surprising just because, like, like you said, Oregon was nearly a two-touchdown favorite coming into this game. But but the reasons Oregon lost are kind of what's plagued this team this whole year. Like, we knew they couldn't stop the run, and, and we knew we knew that the offenses had a tendency of turning the ball over. Um, and, and last night, they just absolutely ran into a train and Jamar Jefferson, who just uh, I mean his, his first touch went for an 80 yard touchdown I mean that if that wasn't indicative of things to come I, I don't know what it was but uh, um, you know I, I think a lot of attention will be paid to uh, what went wrong for the Ducks and, and just kind of how gassed and, and porous this defense has looked but Oregon State played a great game last night and yeah, I think that was my my seventh uh, Oregon on Oregon State game that I've covered uh, in my time here and I, I think that was probably as memorable as, as ones as I've covered there was uh, a lot made of the fog last night at Reeser, and it kind of had a, a great feel, kind of a, uh, you know, definitely a late fall, late November game feel with that fog in the atmosphere. What was it like for you, kind of visibility-wise, over for us just watching the game on TV, 
it did seem to you know inhibit the visual experience a bit but it was hard to tell if it was really impacting gameplay on the field uh, did you get any sense on the impact of the fog last night uh, you know I, I don't think it really had much uh, impact on the field I, I think when you're like looking down on something that it's it uh, makes it a little bit denser than it would be if you're like looking across the field but like man it uh it started to roll in kind of like right around the start of the first quarter, but by like the second and third quarter, it was, uh, uh, it was just flat out tough to see. There was, there was two, like two instances where in those RPOs that Oregon runs with Shuck, uh, I, there was everyone in the press box was just like, well, I think he threw that <laughs> and you just kind of wait to wait to see where people ended up. But it was, it was definitely substantial, but, uh, it, it started to lift right around the fourth quarter, right. As, uh, right. As the Beavers, uh, um, really kind of took, took a stranglehold of this thing. It's the uh, second straight week, and Tyson Alger of The Athletic is joining us here on Judas Football Show. It's the second straight week that Oregon has shown some vulnerability on uh, the defensive side of the ball. Um, you know, not to say that they were perfect at Washington State or in their opener as well, but UCLA seemed to have some surprising success on offense. And Oregon State, even though we know of Jefferson and and some of the playmakers that they have, boy, I'm definitely surprised at putting up over 500 yards on the Oregon defense. So what do we make of it, Tyson? I mean, I recognize some of the individual names on this Oregon defensive unit, and I know they're hurt by opt-outs, particularly Graham and uh, Javon Holland and even Brady Breeze to a certain extent. But I didn't think it would hurt them this bad. Are you surprised at the the product on the defensive side of the ball Oregon's put forward so far? I'm just surprised that it's hurt them up front so much because, you know, you think of the secondary and you think of the passing game. But, I mean, this is an Oregon defense that's not generating any sacks. It's it's And <clears throat> when you combine that with the fact that this group isn't forcing any turnovers either, and it's just, it's just been the perfect storm for a really bad season. I mean, they're getting completely gashed on the ground, but I, I think what's happening as well is, is that that secondary is, is just, uh, it's allowing quarterbacks to get rid of the ball a lot quicker. So you're not allowing somebody like Kayvon Thibodeau to, to be able to create havoc in there. And I mean, it's, it's nuts to me that it, it just seems like there's just two consistent players on this defense right now. One's Veron McKinley, who's a redshirt sophomore and the other is Noah Sewell, who's a true freshman. I mean, other than that, it, it just doesn't seem like there's anybody that's really consistently playing well, which is pretty shocking considering, you know, basically the entire defensive line with Jordan Scott and Austin Value. I mean, they held a press conference for them announcing them coming back to their senior years. I mean, these, these are veteran guys up front. Um, in the back, on, in, uh, the linebacker, yeah, they have a couple injuries with, like, Justin Flo, but he was, it was a true freshman. Like, they shouldn't have been relying on him as, as somebody that, that needed to, to make plays this year. I mean, they, they have experience back there, but I guess it's, it's just really surprising to me because, really, from that front seven, they lost Troy Dye, which, I mean, Troy Dye was a fantastic player, but it's, it's not like he was, like, a first-round NFL talent. Um, and then they lost like Drayton, Carl Berg, and Bryson Young, who were two guys who didn't really even play until their senior year. So it's not like there was a, a big uh, talent loss like up at, at that at that level. I mean, it's just it's kind of baffling. Like like last night, it just seemed like that the defense was disengaged at times, and then just uh, it, I, I Mario Cristobal didn't want to blame you know COVID and then the fact that they lost time with strength and conditioning um, and tackling in practice. But I mean, at the same time, like that's probably what it is, but every other team's going through it. And I, I thought Oregon's offense was going to be good enough last night to, to counter that. But, I mean, Oregon State just, just bulldozed them.
They absolutely did, yeah. Tyson Alger of The Athletic joining us. You wrote in your piece for The Athletic that uh, Oregon fails to finish off Oregon State as playoff hopes vanish in the rivalry loss. I want to focus on the failure to finish. This is a program in Mario Cristobal that he's built that prides itself on finishing games. Finish, finish, finish. Now, of course, you could say every coach and every program that ever walked the earth wants to uh, finish games and, and have that be a calling card. But, I mean, given their toughness in the trenches, their ability to finish games running the football, if they're not fumbling like at the end of Stanford or trying to uh, come back and beat Auburn in that game last year or the the long comeback effort that they had at ASU, Generally, Oregon is a program that can finish games by running the rock well and converting those third downs. And you finish games on both sides of the ball, certainly. You've got to finish on defense, but you also got to finish on offense, Tyson. And it doesn't seem like Oregon's offense has that killer instinct, at least uh, in the last couple of weeks, that they even showed at Washington State. I mean, they were so good in that second half at Washington State. But the fourth quarter with UCLA did not have show that killer instinct, and it certainly didn't yesterday when it gave the Beavers a window of opportunity to come back and win. How did Oregon's offense kind of uh, perform from the way that you were evaluating the game last night in the sense that they had an opportunity to finish this game out, and they just did not? Yeah, you know, I, it's there was good and bad there. I mean, like the, this offense gets continue to show that it can be explosive. I mean, like you saw some big plays from Jalen Red, and then Devin Williams continues to just be a, a freakish talent for them at, at wide receiver. I think he had a 60-yard touchdown reception. Um, I, I think Tyler Shuck's going to take take a lot of, of flack for this game. That, that second interception uh, in the fourth quarter was was definitely a backbreaker for them. But, I mean, this, this was an offense that still put up 38 points. Um, I, I don't. I, I think it's too much to, to put the blame on, on the offense here. I mean, they. Um, I, I think the one disappointment was when they got the ball uh, late, late in the fourth, and they go three and out there, and what seemed like a pretty uninspired drive. But I mean, Tyler Chuck did leave leave a, a go ahead touchdown drive uh, late in that fourth quarter, but before that play, and it's just that this was definitely a whoever had the ball last was going to win it, and, and so I, I think there was just way too much time left on the clock and. Um, well, you know, especially with the way Oregon State's offense was running. So, um, yeah, there definitely some things to shore up. I mean, I mean, Chuck's just, Chuck's just had like, you know, three or four interceptions this year where you just go like, ah, you know, I, I, I obviously he wish he was would have had those back. It just happened that one of them last night was at a was at a real crucial moment in the game. But I mean, it was it was his first real. Um, time as a starter uh, trying to lead the comeback drive and I didn't think he played that bad it's just uh it's just they had a really untimely three and out and and that pick was awfully costly yeah it was I mean the first pick you know Jaden Grant's interception that led to no points so Oregon State couldn't capitalize on that I was taking issue with Oregon State for that and the second pick by Nashon Wright it seemed like in both of those instances and it's hard to see without you know going back and looking at coach's film but it seemed like in both of those instances you know, Jaden Grant came off his original coverage to intercept that ball underneath, and then Nashon Wright did something similar. Like, he had a receiver that he was, you know, running with, running a deep post or a deep go or something. He came off of that to come back and intercept that ball on a secondary receiver. Uh, so are we? do we absolutely still have to pin those interceptions on Shuck, or is that also obviously, you know, give and take, 
some pretty decent coaching and technique by the Oregon State defensive backs. I'm just, I'm just trying to paint the picture. Like, how, how much of this was egregious misplay by Shuck? Because I agree with you, for the most part, I actually think he, he played pretty well. But he's just like the easiest target for Duck fans right now in a game that they lost. Well, I mean, like, that, that's, that's the thing is, you know, sometimes it's mistakes and sometimes it's just the other team making plays. And uh, I think for many years, uh, you know, dating back to, you know, when Oregon was really, really uh, running through this rivalry, I, I think any time that Oregon State did something, it was kind of more chalked up to, like, a mistake for the Ducks. But um, this, this is a Beavers team that's, that's grown in talent under Jonathan Smith. They're, they're incredibly well coached, and, and you do have leaders like Grant who are, are outspoken and make plays and, and really kind of uh, put place themselves in, into kind of the history of this, this rivalry game. Um, you know, I, I think, uh, I, I think it's a mixture on those. I, I, I need to go back and actually, actually watch, watch the full game replay. But uh, mm-hmm. I, I think uh, it's especially the Grant one, like he, he peeled off and, and, and I think the Oregon state disguised their coverage as well. I think UCLA, um, kind of showed a blueprint for that because I mean, like the Ducks, Ducks were kind of struggling with some of the, the sets that they were they were bringing at them. So um, yeah, I mean, it's it's this season's tough to grade overall because in one sense, like Oregon was number 15 in the college football playoff rankings. They were undefeated. Um, they had a, a very very solid. I mean, it was it was pretty much a zero chance of making a playoff, but they were at least like mathematically still in it. And so I mean, this loss takes them out of that headline but I mean this is still an incredibly young team so many guys on that offense were playing in their first first rivalry game like this um it, it's a weird environment out there um so I mean it's it's certainly a disappointment for them and then they they played bad like the, the defense wasn't good in this game but this is still a young team that's growing for for what will be a resumption of that that playoff run uh, in 2021. I said, I, uh, Devin Williams has some wow moments in pretty much every game. Dude, he's good. I mean, yeah. <laughs> how good is he? I mean, like, what are we talking here in terms of, uh, like his, his pro potential? Cause uh, man, he's got the frame and he has just lost some folks running some routes. And, and, uh, there was blown coverage last night, of course, for the big one, but man, he is smooth. Man, it's, it's it's not even just his speed; it's, it's his agility. I mean, he's had three or four times where he's caught the ball like right on, right along the sideline, like completely stopped to like shake his defender and then start up again. I mean, he's just he's got start stop and and that mixed with that frame. I mean, there's just there's no other Oregon receiver like him. And honestly, I can't really think of a, of a guy who does all those things uh, in the time that I've covered this team. And I mean, it's, this was really. Uh, he, he's, it's it's so funny to be wrapping. I mean, feel like you're wrapping things up after after this game here late November, and, and still thinking that it's only the fourth game of the season. Like, like this is where you would really think that he'd just be really getting going. He's got four games under his belt in a new system with a new team, but uh, uh, you know, we only got got two official ones left before uh, before uh, hopefully uh, they end up in the Pac-12 title game. Yeah, I mean, he he's been phenomenal to watch uh, for for a lot of reasons. Uh, what's the evaluation on Kayvon Thibodeau this year, Tyson? He had a couple of splash plays. He had the pass knockdown on fourth down. He had the sack of Jebbia. And yet I'm also seeing, uh, you know, uh, is he being used to his peak capacity? Uh, what? How do you evaluate Kayvon right now? I actually thought he played pretty well yesterday. Um, it's, I mean, a player like that who, you know, had nine sacks last year, obviously I think people are going to look at the sack totals from this year and then, 
obviously it's, it's down. And I, I think yesterday was his first sack of the season, but um, he, he's getting double teamed a lot. Um, but just, I, I spent a few series watching him and just the way that he's able to kind of shed guys and bounce off to, to where the ball carrier is. Um, you know, it, it certainly wasn't flashy, but um I mean, if you take take the Pac-12 by storm like you did last year, I mean, all of a sudden you're going to start getting game plan for, and I, I think that's something that he's adjusting to. I think it's something that the Ducks are adjusting to, uh, especially when they don't quite have the coverage guys behind them to allow them that time. But uh, I mean, I, w- I wouldn't be too worried about them, but uh, it, it's it's certainly not the uh, the disruptor that we we saw uh, what what seemed like every other uh, other play last year. I, I thought this guy was going to be the Pac-12 defensive player of the year this year, and um, yeah, he, he's certainly far off that pace. I, in fact, I, I think, uh, like I mentioned earlier, I, I think Noah Sewell's been the best player of this front seven so far, and, and he's played in four career games. All right, Tyson, a couple of last things for you. One, your preseason predictions for this Oregon football season that you had on the Athletic. You predicted back then that they would have one loss in the regular season, and that would come at Oregon State. Now, you self-disclosed that you hedged a little bit. No, 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 let's, no let's just leave it there. Let's just leave it there. <laughs> <laughs> You're a genius, Tyson. How did you know? But but big picture, what kind of, if you can backtrack to that, uh, to, to frame your thinking in the preseason, what led you to that kind of prediction? Was it something just overall in the Ducks that you were like, this is going to be a really good team, but I tell you what, the Beavs are also going to be for real this year. And did it ultimately pan out in the way that you may have thought it could? I I, I just think Jonathan Smith's teams have played Oregon really well the last two years. Um, if you go back and look at last year's game, I mean, it was it was Gabby's first, first start, and, and the Ducks didn't really pull away from them. Uh, obviously, there's a huge talent gap between these two teams, but um, if you look at the last two and a half years of, of Mario Cristobal's teams, there's always – there's always a head scratching loss or two. Last year it was at Arizona State. The year before it was at Washington Arizona or Washington State Arizona back to back. And then just kind of looking at this year's schedule, it was, it was a mixture of them playing at Reeser. Um, you know they, they've struggled on the road at times. Uh, Jamar Jefferson is is obviously uh, what he is on the ground. It, it just um, I don't know. It was, I'd like to say that I, uh, I did all the analytics on it, but it was just kind of a gut feeling that I, uh, I didn't stick with this last week because we did our updated uh, mid-season uh, picks and I did a projected record. And I, I said, uh, you know, I've seen enough from this offense to think that they'll be able to handle Oregon State. So mm. I don't get all the credit here, but, uh, um, you know, hopefully people just saw that first article and not the second one. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, absolutely. And I tell you what, my hand's up there with you, man. I had 41-27 was my game prediction that Oregon was going to put up 41. I thought Oregon State was going to put up some points, but wouldn't have enough to to keep up. And my last question is, you know, well, how does this team, when they move forward now, they got at Cal and versus Washington. If you put on that Tyson Alger predictor hat again, do you think uh, this Cristobal team will be able to regroup, bounce back? They get an extra day to prepare now as they get a Cal team that just lost in brutal fashion yesterday. Uh, are they going to be able to bounce back and, and beat Cal on the road? And then, of course, with that big rivalry with Washington, I don't know. I don't even know where to start thinking about where that game is. And it, even, honestly, if any of this gets played, too, is the other factor, of course. 
Yeah, no kidding. Like, like this, the, the, the games are, are dropping left and right here. Uh, I'm not worried about Cal. Uh, I, I thought they had a chance of being good coming into this year, but at, at this point, it just kind of looks like a, a, a lost season. Uh, I mean, they, they've they've had games canceled. They, they've had tough losses. I, I just I, I don't know quite know what they're still playing for. Um, so I, I think the Ducks will will be able to regroup for that one. Uh, boy, uh, that Washington game looks kind of scary now, doesn't it? Uh, yeah. Uh, We'll have to see how uh, how they look. I mean, Washington and Utah this weekend, that'll be a fun one. But, um, yeah, I, the, the Oregon team that played yesterday, I don't think that be, that team beats Washington. Now, granted, I, I think there's a lot of things Oregon can fix. and um, You know, it, it can still be a good game. But, uh, yeah, the, the Huskies are looking pretty good. Pretty good and and if that, if that game happens, uh, it'll be a tough one. Dyson, I appreciate you taking the time. As always, my friend, love talking football with you. You make me smarter each and every time. Uh, find them on socials at Tyson Alger. Read them and sub to The Athletic. I know they got great discount pricing going on right now to sub. So do that and read Tyson Alger's work if you're an Oregon fan. Tyson, good talking to you, my friend. Thanks for joining us. Hey, thanks, Judah. Appreciate that. Evanson Bernard of uh, Oregon State fame. He will join us coming up in a few minutes as well. But before that, want to take a couple of your phone calls. Charlie is in Vancouver. Good morning, Charlie. First of all, thanks for being a magician and wearing all the hats that you're doing to make this happen this morning. And does this happen every Saturday morning? I'm just curious. 9 to 11 a.m., brother. It absolutely does. Uh, it takes various forms. Uh, most of the time I'm able to get in here and knock this thing out live. But, uh, you know, you piece it together. You MacGyver it from week to week. But I, I, I had to be here live for the people this Saturday morning, Charlie. So here I am taking your phone call and uh, being able to put you on. I appreciate it. Well, I know for me, there's a thousand of us who are saying thank you um, to the game. I got to be honest about how I felt as it happened. Yeah. As opposed to sitting back and Monday morning quarterback and then saying, yeah, we're great. I wanted to, I had my problems with the OSU offensive coordinator who was making the calls in the first half of not running Jefferson on the third and short mm-hmm. or even going for it on fourth and short instead of, can't remember if it was the situation where they kicked the field goal or they punted near midfield when it was fourth down. And, and I just think Jefferson, if he's a nine out of 10 guy, if it's nine out of 10 times that he can get you two yards, you use that. I, I just think it's such a valuable weapon. And especially because now they have the option of the quarterback sneak that they used late in the game, mm-hmm. which worked, but still, uh, again, I questioned it. I know they won and hats off to them. I'm so happy for them. I'm so happy because of the, uh, adversity that they went through, they could be 4-0. I mean, Washington State did not kill them the first game. If they had a little bit better pass defense, that would have been a heck of a game. Anyway, it was just so fun to see. I don't know how it happened still because every play I see a team that in yellow uniforms or gold, whatever that was, <laughs> is 20 pounds heavier yeah. and two-tenths of a, a second faster, and they just don't have the, I don't know, maybe discipline or heart, one or the other. Uh, props to Jonathan Smith for getting them ready for a big-time game. Props for having faith in life mm. as opposed to being a whiner. That was It's just so cool. Anyway, thanks for doing what you do. Go Beavs. Bless you, brother. Appreciate that. Charlie in Vancouver is in with his take. Evanson Bernard, famed Oregon State running back. He joins Judas Football Show. That is coming up next. Hour number two straight ahead. 
You've got it right here on Sports Radio 750 The Game. 9 to 11 a.m., we continue to unpack the rivalry game that was Ducks and Beavs last night. And you can get in here as well, just like Charlie, at 503-417-7575. We'll be right back. It's a football season unlike any other. And we're talking about it. This is Judas Football Show. Talking all things NFL and college football on 750 The Game. The options are not good for the Ducks. Fourth down, they throw across the middle. They are going to pitch it back. And here we go. That ball is on the turf. Beavers are going to scoop it up. Go down, and Oregon State will pull off one of the more improbable wins that the Beavers have ever had in the 124-year history of this great rivalry. What a win for Jonathan Smith and his Oregon State Beavers. Now, here's Judah Newby. Uh, it's great to be with you on this Saturday morning, downtown Portland. Judah Newby, Judah's football show. Saturday is 9 to 11 a.m. You can find it right here. And uh, it's a it's a great feeling to be here talking about uh, college football in our state. And look, full disclosure, and I got to reinforce this uh, when I'm on the air as often as possible. I'm not a diehard beaver. I'm not a diehard duck. I did not go to OSU. I did not go to U of O. I went out of state for school. But I tell you what, I grew up right in this state in McMinnville, Oregon, watching the you know game formerly known as the Civil War year after year after year. It is my favorite day on the sports calendar. It's more, I love it more than Super Bowl Sunday, than Championship Sunday. Sometimes I feel like I love it even more than my own birthday, honestly. I love seeing Oregon State play Oregon. I love it. I absolutely love it each and every year. I remember basically every matchup fondly and and vividly and well. And so to watch this game last night brings me uh, an immense amount of joy because of how competitive it was. And you know what? As a little brother myself, ah, man, he... The little brother, and dare I say, Oregon State, I'm not sure if I can call him a little brother for much longer when they win games like this, but the little brother got back on top in a major way last night, and we are giving the Beavers some props and some love. We're asking some questions about the Ducks as well. Thanks to Tyson Alger for joining us in hour number one. But to shed some perspective on Oregon State and what this win means for the program, how about somebody that bled some orange and black during his playing days in Corvallis? One running back extraordinaire, Evanson Bernard. And Evanson's joining us on Judas Football Show right now on 750 The Game. Evanson, my friend, good morning. How are you feeling on this Saturday morning, the day after your beefs upset the Ducks at Reason? Oh, man, I am uh, beyond uh, excited. I woke up with a huge smile on my face. It's kind of funny because my body felt like it kind of went through a football game or Civil War game or whatever they want to call it nowadays. <laughs> so I'm not going to tell you why I feel that way. <laughs> but, let's, but let's just say I had a lot of fun. And uh, it's funny because I had a really good friend of mine, also a former running back at Oregon State, Teron Ward, which he always seemed to have a great Civil War game. So it was just kind of funny to have him here. He was visiting his in-laws, and we were watching the game and just, you know, enjoying ourselves and just, you know, going down memory lane, but also just so proud of, uh, you know, the product that we were putting out in the field. And like you said earlier, you know, it was competitive. It felt like um, the old, you know, like the old school uh, rivalry game that we're used to, right? Like it's competitive. We didn't know who was going to win, right? It was just unpredictable. Um, in the last couple of years, it hasn't been quite that way. But last night definitely 
change the, the tone uh, moving forward. Man, just hearing that brings a smile to my face, too, that you're kicking back with uh, Teron Ward, a couple of Beaver greats, <laughs> watching your program, you know, with Jonathan Smith leading yeah. it to a massive victory. How's Teron doing, man? He's good. He's good. Uh, he's uh, got a little baby girl and he's expecting another one here. Oh, cool. Um, he's working as a real estate agent in the Bay Area, and uh, it's pretty awesome just to, you know, just to see the growth, you know. I, his maybe his junior year um that was my first year as a ga um so got to i really got to know him as a as a as a person not just a player but you know one of the sharper guys in this uh you know in the, in the, in the group actually you know, i remember guys like storm and you know um uh, some of the guy's name but they would always reach out to him um, about like plays and what direction and what blitz pick up. It was kind of fun, funny. Um, Chris Brown was another running back, and so just to kind of see how he was a leader um, was really cool. And then, you know, obviously the friendship now from coach player and the guy that watched me play has been quite the, the journey. Absolutely, Evanson Bernard joining us, a famed Oregon State running back. Uh, Evanson, you know, Jamar Jefferson is an exceptional talent. And uh, we could talk for a long time at just how, how talented he is, but what aspect of his game is most impressive uh, to you as, as you watch him with, with running back eyes, yeah. as I know you do? Yeah, I, I end up watching more of that than anything to be honest with you. I watch a football game, I always watch running back, and Jamal's a special talent. Um, you see the patience, um, and it takes, you know, kids, you know, it takes them a, quite, a couple of years to kind of, understand how to be patient, right? Because we're always used to just outrunning everybody and not having to be patient and, um, and the whole thing super wide open, whatever you want to call it. But, you know, for him to uh, translate that game and, and pick up that patience factor, I think it's getting better every year. It's huge. Um, and then that just that burst, too, that, you know, you kind of they talked a little, a little about during the game, but there's a, there's a very uh, – it's very subtle and you don't see it. But he, when he – when he plants his foot and gets north, it's uh, it's there's a lot of acceleration going there. Um, and then you don't see backs getting 25, 30 carries anymore. That was like my time as Steven Jackson again and to, to quit. Like that was the time that blacks were getting 25, 30 plus carries a game. So to see that on a constant basis was pretty impressive. Um, you know, he's, I think the last two games, last three, um, two prior to this yesterday was like. 20 plus carries, you know, nowadays people are like, whoa, that's a lot of carries. He's a workhorse, right? But that's normal. That used to be normal. Just to, just to see him consistent and get better with each carry, uh, that's, that's, that's uh, pretty impressive. Yeah, it really is. And it's funny, too, because there were parts of that game where I was talking myself into them giving him the ball more, you know? Like, yeah. I was like, this dude is yeah. bringing it. He could, he, he could get north of 30, but but to your point, he consistently produced as the game wore on. And even if you yeah. take that 82-yarder out, I mean, he averaged, you know, he over did. five yards a carry after that. Yeah, that's huge. <laughs> that's huge. So, yeah, I mean, he's a uh, old-school style back. That's going in the new era where, you know, most offenses are pass-happy. So, for him to, you know, for them to lean on him uh, is pretty impressive. And, you know, the way they went out, you know, with the win. And, you know, you hear about Oregon's D-line. I mean, we're, I mean, I mean, let's be honest, right? Like, they didn't really 
stop him. <laughs> you know, and we kept talking about Oregon's D-line, Oregon's D-line, and for them to do that, uh, Oregon State's offensive line, that is pretty much a put-together at this point because they lost some guys throughout the years and some key guys. Um, they're still trying to figure out their identity. To see that is impressive. Well, that, that, that was another takeaway I had, too, from last night was – you know, we talk about how exceptional Jefferson is, and no mistake, he set records last night. But I, I don't know if the the broadcast made enough of a point to to praise the Oregon State offensive line. Oh. They were moving folk, and I I'm not used to seeing a duck defensive line with a Jordan Scott on it, with an Austin Faulio yeah. on it, getting moved by the Beavers. They won the trench war last night, Evan City, and yeah. that's very satisfying. Yeah, yeah, that's very satisfying. We're going back to what I said. It is. I, I honestly could not believe the work that they were putting on that D line. Um, and you know, everyone was like, "Oh, they're not good." Whatever this is not. I mean, even our. You know, let's talk about our, our D line, right? We were getting t- told that our D line wasn't that great. And they did a great job too last night. So I don't know what the guys ate yesterday or for breakfast or whatever it was, but uh, it was impressive to see all the downhill. You know the, the, the you know D lines, offensive line, and linebackers, whatever receivers to all step up and play as one. Um, you know you had guys uh, just kind of everyone stepped up. It was awesome. Um, you know obviously it, was, it wasn't a traditional rivalry game. You know the stands were empty, so I can't I don't know how quiet it was down there, but I'm sure um, it, it was probably kind of surreal at, at, at a moment where you just like actually we're gonna play, we're playing the Civil War, whatever they call it. And I keep saying that, but <laughs> me too. <laughs> um, to the players on the field, you know, I bet they're trying to figure out the their emotion. But you know, I think you know once that ball was kicked off, you know, you kind of figure out about all that all that noise and stuff like that. So just to see everyone come together, man, um, on that sideline was awesome. I'm really proud of Jonathan. Uh, you know, we're obviously a former player as he is. You know, it's it's pretty awesome to kind of see a guy come back to his alma mater and do what he's been doing. Um, you know, and he reaches out to the alum and just the communication there has been awesome. So um, the team's going to be super successful moving on. It's still, you know, some things to fix, but you know, it's promising, to be honest. Evanson Bernard joining us, Judas Football Show on 750 The Game. Yeah, man, Jonathan Smith is really fascinating to me because he's understated, uh, pretty visibly humble. But there are times, Evanson, where I'm watching him give a post-game press conference and he's got some terseness, he's got some edge, you know. He'll he'll yeah. <laughs> he'll bite off some of his sound clips, you know. And, like, it's it might be hard to see on the surface, but he is a fierce, fierce competitor and I think I, I saw that in his face in his post-game press conference last night. And that, you know, getting a win over Oregon like this has got to be so big for, for his confidence, but also just the overall direction of the program. Even though it's an odd yeah. year, you know, I don't think this is an outlier. I won't, I'm not going to say this is an outlier of a win. I think this is a statement win that legitimizes Oregon State in this rivalry to a higher level than they've been probably since your last year in 2007 yeah. when they won an Autzen. You're right. Yeah, absolutely. That was huge. And, you know, it's, Let's not forget to also say, you know, it was a 4.30, it was a nationally coverage game. Yeah. Uh, recruits are watching that game or we watch that game. So that was huge on the recruiting front. Um, our name is out there. People know us now. I was in Texas from all my family and friends in Florida. 
you know, people in New York that I'm friends with and stuff like that, they were watching the game. And so you, the, the game was definitely watched by many, many, um, hopefully, and I'm sure a lot of recruits um, definitely know who Oregon State is now. The animosity with, with, with Oregon. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, do you, do you feel like Beaver Nation is – are they the type of personalities to, uh, you know, let Oregon know about this win for another 365 <laughs> days? Because Duck fans have definitely, you know, they, they've they've talked trash to Husky fans for sure, but to yeah. Beaver fans as well. I mean, I feel like this is the Beaver Nation's time to let Duck Nation know who runs this state now. Yeah. <laughs> I agree. I will say, I think the, the reason why Washington kind of slipped in, I think, because it, it was becoming a more competitive game. Yeah. Um, and so I think people kind of started leaning towards that, but, uh, no, I, I, I definitely, uh, I think the, the rivalry's back and, uh, there's going to be a lot of trash talking for 365 days for sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I, you know, I got friends, that, you know, like Tim Day, uh, real good friends with him. Um, and so it's, uh, it'll be fun. We'll ride that a little bit. Uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm planning on going out for a little walk uh, with the kids today. Uh, we're, we're definitely going to be wearing all of our beaver gear. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's fun. It's part of the rivalry, right? I mean, you look at you know some of those SEC, ACC, uh, Big 12 rivalry games, and people are like, oh, man, you know, because the West Coast, I think it's, we're not, you don't get as crazy unless it's our rivalry game, but all those games are crazy. But I think this, um, this kind of brings the, the state together. You know, it's a it's a good time to kind of banter back and forth, and it's all it's all fun games. You know, at the end of the day, um, but yeah, it, it'll be a fun one. You know, Evanson, I'll, I'll leave you with this, but I I picked Oregon to win that game last night. I thought it was going to be forty-one twenty-seven Ducks. <laughs> I I put on Twitter when when the Ducks went on a six play seventy four yard drive in two minutes to take a thirty one nineteen lead. I said Oregon yeah. was in firm control of this game, <laughs> and they collapsed from that standpoint. How satisfying! And look, I, I obviously I pull yeah. for Oregon State to be competitive, but my hand is raised high in the air when I counted the Beavers out this week, even during the game itself, and they proved me wrong in a major major yeah. way how satisfying is that for you as an alumni and just uh, you know channeling the energy of that program and that campus in general yeah it was funny because i mean i think it's and i have a group chat with a couple of buddies and and uh and my boss actually uh we, he was in that group chat with the team as well and it was like oh man i don't know man i think it might be over and i just remember saying um don't i don't just watch. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I just had a feeling that just the way that Warden State was continually, like, just pushing, pushing, and pushing. And just watching the sideline as well, like, everyone's heads were up. And um, they knew that. I, I just felt like they were still in it. And just kind of, and the players knew it, you know. So, um, awesome victory. Um, you know, Warden's obviously a special team. Hats off to them. And, I'm really good friends with Keith with Johnson, DB coach. So mm. um, I'm sure I probably won't get a text this week, but it's all good. Um, <laughs> but, uh, no, great game, exciting, um, exciting time. 2020, I guess, is not so bad after all. <laughs>
Well, I'm really happy for Beaver Nation, Evanson, and uh, grateful for you for taking the time, my friend. Thanks for turning around on this Saturday morning and uh, yeah. sharing some love with the, with the Beavers. And my hat's off to you, my friend. Yeah. All right, my man. Take care. Go Beavers. There he is. Go Beavers. Evanson Bernard, Beaver legend, and them Beavers have taken control of this state. That's still unreal to me. And uh, I picked Oregon with conviction last night. Egg on my face. 31-19, I said the Ducks were in firm control. Egg on my face. Oregon did not finish, and the Beavers ripped out victory from under the Ducks, their own bills, not even their own noses, ripped it from under the Ducks' bills. And props to Oregon State, man. Absolutely. I'm not sure if I can call them the little brother for much longer because they out-physicaled the Oregon Ducks in a game last night. You can get in here with your reaction. We're taking you up to 11 a.m., 503-417-7575, running a one-man ship here back at home base. But we'll, we'll, we will get you on the air. Thank you, Evanson Bernard, for taking the time. And Tyson Alger, we will podcast those interviews on 750thegame.com and on our social channels as well if you missed either of those conversations. I'm Judah Newby. This is Judah's Football Show. Still about 40 minutes to go up until 11 o'clock. LSU and Texas A&M play-by-play later this afternoon as well. Right here on 750 The Game, A&M, number five in the college football playoff rankings. So plenty on the line for them. But we're talking Ducks and Beavs. Give us your opinion. What was your big takeaway from the game last night? If you're a Duck fan, man, what kind of struggle was that watching that fourth quarter? Especially if you're a Beaver fan, get in here. And we'll do a victory lap. You guys deserve it today. 503-417-7575. Judas Football Show. We'll be right back. Back to Judas Football Show. Talking all things NFL and college football on 750, the game. It's going to be a long, long night for his running back, um, Jamar Jefferson. He's one of the best running backs in all of college football. There's the first carry, and there he goes down the sideline. Jefferson, another huge run. He had two of them last week, and he's got one of them already this week for a long Oregon State touchdown, 82 yards. My goodness. Oh, yeah. Welcome back to this football show, 750 The Game. Beavers 41, Ducks 38. 9 to 11 a.m. You can find me right here on The Game. And taking your calls at 503-417-7575. Jamar Jefferson into the record books. Oregon State snaps the three-game losing streak to the Oregon Ducks. Their second win in the rivalry dating back to uh, 2008 when Oregon started the eight-game win streak. But now the Beavers, they rip one back in 16. They rip one back in 20. Both games at Reezer, both games with massive production on the ground, dominating the trench war against a Mario Cristobal Oregon team. And the Beavers have reclaimed control of the state of Oregon. It's still even surreal to say that out loud, but I got to give props to the Beavers where it is due, and it is certainly due on this Saturday morning. 503-417-7575. Beaver fans, take a victory lap. Duck fans, get in here and tell me what is your biggest concern with this team. And if there's no concerns at all, you know, some of you might be out there and saying this is an 
outlier of a year. I'm not taking anything too seriously. And I understand where you're coming from with that, but I'm not going to allow that to get in the way of any props to Beaver Nation because it is much deserved. Mark's in Portland, and Mark has called in the line. It is great to hear your voice. Mark, how are you? Good, good. How are you doing? Doing good. Good. Well, you know, I had, I'm thinking back to last night, and I had these conscious thoughts, and I even tweeted a friend of mine at the beginning of the game, that the Beavers going to have to to play a near perfect game would be because again I was like everybody else we knew the Ducks were ranked 15th the Beavers they were showing promise against Washington and against Cal but you know and then as the game went on the Ducks would score touchdowns the Beavers would score field goals yeah. and then they just you know kept chipping away and I thought you know that's where I thought it was going to have to be a near perfect even a near perfect second half and then the Ducks. You know, again, their their armor was was being compromised in a way. And then when Chuck was throwing the two interceptions, I thought they've got a chance. And then all of a sudden, it was like I saw Jebbia, and I think you mentioned this earlier. In a, I saw him in a new light. Mm-hmm. He was like, he he just seemed more confident. He was confident in his throws. He was confident in his running. He still had some throws that were a little little iffy that could have been picked off, but um, he just showed. Um, just a lot more, um, you know, promise and, you know, he just had, um, you know, he just had that air about him that he was just more confident as the game went on. And when was the last time that, that Oregon state went on it, went for it on fourth down twice in a game? I I don't even know. (laughs) Yeah. Mark, I appreciate the call and thanks for chiming in and man, it's uh, it's good to hear you. I appreciate you. Have a great Saturday. Yeah, you too. There he is. Mark is called in. 503-417-7575. A couple of notes on that. Uh, I was in that same camp thinking that Oregon State had to play a perfect game in order to beat Oregon. And they were not perfect. Oregon State can play better than that uh, for a few different reasons. One, that first half was not Jonathan Smith's best half. In fact, the first two and a half quarters, I should say, even bleeding into that third quarter where he decided to go for two a little too early in the game, in my opinion, and it failed. It was almost there, but Musgrave was, you know, about a foot into the back of the end zone before he was able to pull that one down. I don't think it was Jonathan Smith's best game, uh, honestly. And the fact that he was able to, you know, gather his program around in the last 20 minutes of this game and show some fight and show some resolve when they were down two scores. And then, frankly, you know, even when they went up 34-31, Oregon went right down the field and scored to make it 38-34. And there's even a little part of my heart then that is like, man, nice try, Beavs. That was a hell of an effort. Great effort. But in my head, I was thinking, Oregon's winning this game. They just went down the field 38-34. They're going to finish this game. And you know what? I'm kind of mad at the Ducks, frankly, because they made me look like an idiot. That UCLA fourth quarter, maybe I should have put more stock in that. I was kind of riding off that fourth quarter with UCLA last week because, you know, I don't know. They didn't finish the game very well on offense for sure with like three punts down the stretch, and they gave UCLA a chance to go back and almost win that football game with a quarterback making his first start in his college football career. And that was an Autzen. And now they have a chance to finish this game. They are up 31-19. They are up 38-34. 
They get a stop on fourth down in their own territory. The Beavers drive all the way into Duck territory. Obviously, they have to go for it on fourth down. And people are saying, oh, man, that that one point that they left off the board by not going for the extra point is really costing them now. That's not the case. That is flawed thinking. If they would have kicked the extra point to make it 24-20 early in the game, they would have also kicked the you know extra point to go up by three at 34-31 when they went for two then. So their two-point conversion that gave them a 34-31 lead, that you know atoned for the sins of missing the two-point conversion earlier. That makes it a zero-sum game. So you cannot say when it's 38-34 that it should be 38-35 because it was never going to be 38-35. If they had made the extra point in the first time, they would have kicked and probably made the extra point the second time instead of having to go for two when they were chasing points. So don't let game script fool you, people out there, especially a lot of people on social media thinking that point was going to make a big difference. It wasn't. They were going to go for the extra point the second time. It was going to be that same game script, that same situation anyway at 38-34. Kayvon Thibodeau, you know, had a fourth down pass breakup. I believe it was Isaac Slade Matawatia, the linebacker, that was able to slip in his zone coverage and get underneath the receiver on that fourth down pass from Tristan Jebbia and knock that away. When when Slade Matawatia breaks up that pass on fourth down, Oregon leads 38-34. To me... This is where Oregon goes down and wins the game. In fact, now that I think about it, isn't that how the game unfolded last year? And trust me, that was a boring game last year. But it's 17-10, to and that's a game that Mikhail Wright takes one to the house, 98 yards. It's 17-10 to Oregon, but Oregon State had the football moving in Autzen Stadium, crossing midfield in a one-score game late in the fourth quarter. They had a chance to go down and tie that game. It was within their control to go down and tie that game. And Jamar Jefferson fumbled. Thomas Graham forced the fumble. It was an outstanding play by Thomas Graham and a tough play for Jamar Jefferson and what was overall a very tough year for that young man, his sophomore season. So this was a one-score game at this point last year. But what did Oregon do after forcing that turnover in 2019? Graham fumbled it. Oregon recovers. And they turn a 17-10 game into a 24-10 game just like that. And that's the final score, 24-10. So here I am sitting at the ga- watching the game last night. And, you know, it's a 38-34. The Duck defense gets that turnover. It's a turnover on downs in this case in their own territory, forcing the Beavs to go for it on fourth down, and they fail. Isaac Slade, Matawatia, a great pass breakup. At that point, I'm thinking this is Oregon's game, just like 2019, to go down and get that last score to win by two scores in this rivalry. That's probably how a lot of people felt it should have unfolded. Let's go ahead and examine that last Oregon drive, shall we? First and 10 at their own 15. Travis Dye, two-yard run. Timeout Oregon State. Two minutes, 14 seconds left. All right. Two-yard run, Travis Dye. I mean, he he also had a pretty good game stat-wise, but, you know, when you have to show a killer instinct, you want to have a little bit more on first down if you're Oregon. In fact, maybe a play fake there. Get a little bit more of a chunk gain. Don't let the clock play you and play your own play calling. Second and eight, coming out of the timeout at their own 17-yard line. A Tyler Shuck run for no gain to the Duck 17. That was a broken play. That was just bad execution all the way around. Nothing for Tyler Shuck on second and eight. Timeout Oregon State, 2.09 left. Now, the Ducks, in a drive where they're supposed to show killer instinct, all of a sudden are looking up and it's third and eight from their own 17-yard line. 
And then it's the incomplete pass to Johnny Johnson the third, and I believe it was Nashon Wright on coverage. And uh, that was an excellent stand by Wright and the Beaver defense. A three and out when you need killer instinct. I I think Joe Moorhead is brilliant with strategy and play calling for the most part. I really have gotten fired up watching his third down play calls and his red zone play calls this year. He is far and away an incredibly better play caller than Marcus Arroyo. I can't even put those guys honestly in the same category. But, man, I got to be critical of Joe Moorhead here and the entire offense for that matter. When you have to show killer instinct in a rivalry game, 38-34, you've got the lead. It's almost like they didn't take the Beavers seriously enough. It's almost like they didn't think that giving the ball back to Oregon State might cost them the game. But it absolutely did. Three and out, give the ball back, and the Beavers, to their credit, capitalize. Ten plays, 53 yards in a minute 22. And what was that chaos near the goal line? (laughs) we're going to unpack that a little bit more, but props up to the Beavers for getting that crucial stop on the Ducks and the three and out at the end of the game and then taking that ball down the field and putting it in the paint to win the game formerly known as the Civil War. Great win for Oregon State. Props to the Beavs. 503-417-7575. Still about 25 minutes left. Get your opinion on the air right here on 750 The Game. Judas Football Show. We'll be right back. Back to Judas Football Show, talking all things NFL and college football on 750 The Game. Nolan will try to sneak it, and he pushes in. Amazing. Wow. His first play for the Beavers is a touchdown that puts Oregon State ahead with 33 seconds to go. Are you kidding me? The transfer from Saddleback. Junior college comes in. Well, it's right up there. There's no question. I mean, you know, we've uh, we've won some games since, since I've been here, but this is a big win. There's, you know, there's no way other way to say it. Um, playing a good football team with again, I know it's a rival. We got respect for that team now. They do a good job with it. They got good players. They get a good job of coaching, um, and that's why they win a bunch of games. Um, so it's a big win. Yeah, well, you know, got to finish game. We didn't finish it, but, uh, you know, like we'll always tell our players, we take all these things together and losses. Got to coach it better. Got to play it better together. And uh, had a chance to close out a couple chances. So credit to them as well. They deserve it. They do deserve it. Big props to the Beavers. 41-38, the upset win over the University of Oregon. I'm trying to go back and find... If this is the biggest upset or at least one of the biggest upsets in recent memory for Oregon State on Oregon, because I don't think 2007 was a two-touchdown point spread. And I, I'm pretty positive 2016 was not a two-touchdown point spread either. And Beavers were not supposed to win this game for a lot of reasons. But if it's funny. You know, I talked to Tyson Alger of The Athletic in the first hour, and man, he made a good point. It's like... The symptoms of this loss for Oregon, none of them were really that surprising. You know, the the run defense had shown some vulnerability, and you knew Jamar Jefferson was great. So what's the primary narrative coming out of the game? 
Well, the Ducks' defense remains vulnerable, and Jamar Jefferson is freaking great. So that symptom is not surprising. But maybe the one that's a little bit more surprising to me is the fact that they just didn't finish. Oregon did not finish this game, and Oregon State absolutely did. And how do you go about finishing games? Man, you do it up front. And Oregon State's offensive line did a phenomenal job uh, being able to not only block for Jamar Jefferson, but I thought they kept Tristan Jebbia clean for much of this game. I know Thibodeau got that sack where he kind of, you know, half-armed Jebbia down to the ground. And you, you get a picture every now and then of just how big and strong Kayvon Thibodeau is and why he profiles so well at the next level. But outside of that, I mean, the Duck defensive line did not play well. They just didn't. And Noah Sewell played really well from an individual statistical standpoint. I know Isaac Slade Matawatia had some moments too. But, man, rush defense is absolutely not there. Pass rush was not there either. And that's what allowed Tristan Jebbia to get comfortable. I mean, that's kind of that Beaver offense. They they pound Jefferson. They play fake Jefferson and have these, like, half rollouts, these half boots with Jebbia. They get the deep over routes, you know, when they're when they're bringing a, a, a Trevon Bradford from the left side to the deep drag all the way over across the field to the right side. Jebbia hitting him in stride. I mean, these are relatively easy throws to make when you're in rhythm and you have time to throw the football. And Jebbia was making those throws. And there was one throw in particular I believe it was in the first half where he did take a shot. He got rocked in the pocket, and he still delivered a dime piece on third down that I think uh, I think was, was brought out of the air by Bradford on a big third down conversion. So Jebbia, give him a lot of credit. I mean, you take a look at his final stat line in this game. 23 of 37, 263 yards, and 7.1 average yards per attempt. I mean, that is outstanding numbers he has the one touchdown which is great and that was a fantastic play call and and props to Zariah Beeson his first collegiate touchdown for Oregon State at a time when they really needed it to go out in front in that fourth quarter but the biggest you know category for me is the zero INTs Shuck throws two picks Jebbia throws zero if you tell me going into the game that that was going to happen I would have probably rethought my prediction of 41-27 Oregon wins the game I thought it would be a little bit closer if if I knew Shuck was going to throw two picks and Jebbia was not going to throw any. And in fact, it's that last point that I think is most crucial. He didn't fumble, didn't turn the football over. You know, they they had they went for it on fourth down pretty early in the game before halftime when I thought it was a little, you know, look, I generally will always give props to coaches that are aggressive and like to go for it on fourth down because I love going for it on fourth down myself. Even if it's in your own half of the field, sometimes I feel like the benefit of getting that fourth down conversion outweighs uh, sometimes the risk. But I will also say, Jonathan Smith knew his defense was in trouble as soon as that fourth down got broken up by Kayvon Thibodeau. But I think they only held Oregon to a field goal there at the end of the half, too. So it could have been worse for the Beavers, especially given how uh, UCLA finished the half against Oregon uh, last week and how Wazoo finished the half against Oregon the week before. The Ducks have stolen points, just absolutely stolen points at the end of halves in each of those games, the Wazoo game and the UCLA game. And they basically stole three points at the end of this first half with Oregon State as well, getting the turnover on downs in Beaver territory. But it just goes to the resilience of Oregon State in that second half. And uh, Jonathan Smith talked about it in his post-game press conference as well, that the defense, he said they really, they calmed down, they galvanized, 
They made some adjustments, and that's what led to the improved performance in that second half that allowed the offense to climb back into that football game. We needed to, we busted a coverage early, you know, in the first half and gave them a huge play there. We needed to wrap up and tackle better. We got another sprung for a touchdown. We didn't wrap the guy up. And so at halftime, I think we just calmed him down. And I think that's shown up even this season earlier games of, like, come in halftime, make some adjustments, calm down a little bit on defense, and, and we play a whole lot better in the second half. I got to credit on Jay Hughes Murray. This guy was everywhere. The Beavers finished with four tackles for loss in this game. On Jay Hughes Murray, 49 in black and orange. He had three and a half of those things. And Omar Spates had a half a TFL as well. Avery Roberts led the Beavers with 12 tackles on the night. The only one to get in double digits. Uh, Keaton Oladapo. And it's hard. You know, if you're not a diehard Beaver fan, it's hard to know who these guys are. Because the broadcasters themselves, you know, Fleming and Gilmore and everybody, they were having enough trouble identifying people through the fog on the screen, too. But I, I, I don't know. Hughes Murray stood out in a major way. Omar Spates had some really big moments. Avery Roberts, obviously, a big game tackling as well. Uh, but Nashawn Wright and Jaden Grant, those two interceptions that those guys had. And Jaden Grant, did you guys see the stick that he had on Shuck near the goal line? I think uh, Habibi Likio ultimately punched it in for a touchdown for Oregon. But when Shuck was carrying that ball near the end zone, here comes a defensive back, Jaden Grant. The dude's nasty. He's not afraid to put his, his nose anywhere near the football. He will absolutely attack the ball carrier, which you love to see that willingness when you're an outside defensive player. Not all defensive backs love to come inside and play the run. Nuh-uh. There are a lot of guys not interested in that. They're making business decisions at that point. Jaden Grant's not one of those. He is so tough and hard-nosed. He went right in and put his shoulder right into Shuck's chops and then lifted him in the air, almost WWE-style, and sent him to the ground. That's a cathartic play right there for the Beavers. Now, granted, Habibi Likio scores the touchdown, but I'm just pointing out Jaden Grant's play. He is one of the reasons why I enjoy watching Oregon State football. And uh, so, look, it has not been enjoyable to watch Oregon State football for the last few years uh, most of the time, especially going back to uh, the Mr. Anderson days. That was a tough product to watch, man, a very, very tough product to watch. Since Jonathan Smith got there, I think you can see the effort on a consistent basis has been elevated, but they weren't winning. You know, we had Yogi Roth on the show from the Pac-12 Network. He was on with John Canzano a couple weeks ago. It was the Friday before the Cal game, so it was just over a week ago. And, you know, he made a really good point. And uh, I think he was he was quoting uh, Bobby Bowden with this, but he says when you're rebuilding a program and, and you're really building it up from the ashes— it kind of goes in four phases. You know, you lose big, <laughs> then you start losing small, but then you find a way to win small, and then you start winning big. And if you go through those four phases, that's generally the process in rebuilding a program from a loser to a contender to a winner to a year-after-year contender for, for the Pac-12 and possibly the college football playoff. You're kind of judging where Oregon State is in this process. And, man, they've they've lost big a lot. And, unfortunately for Beaver fans, and I know a lot of you guys out there, and my heart's been with you during this whole time, the losing big is, has been hard to watch. And Anderson left this program in shambles. And uh, Corey Hall did an outstanding job as the interim in 17. But the, I went to that uh, Civil War game when it was called the Civil War <laughs> back then. 
uh, all those many years ago. And that was in Autzen Stadium. It was a bit of a foggy night, too. And uh, I remember predicting on the air in a pregame show that that was going to be the highest margin of victory of any Civil War game ever. And it was. Willie Taggart's one year here, he set a Civil War record. He won by 59 points. Highest margin in the history of the game. 69 to 10. Brutal. Brutal game. In 2018, it wasn't all that much better. 55-15. That was at Razor Stadium, you know. 2019, this was Jebbia's first start, and the Beavers were highly competitive in what was really a boring game. And this is one of those Marcus Arroyo, I can't believe you have a play-calling job in Division I games. Uh, the Ducks scored 24 points. Seven of them came from a Mikhail Wright, you know, 98-yard return. And it was 17-10 to 10 late in the fourth quarter with the Beavers having the football and a chance to tie the game before Jamar Jefferson fumbles. So that was a, that was a good, you know, competitive game last year with the Beavers fighting to the end. This year, they have started to figure out how to win small. And they've done it since Yogi Roth made that comment. And I agreed with him, by the way, fully, wholeheartedly agreed with him. Eight days ago, he said, no. John asked him, JC asked him, have the Beavers turned a corner? He said, no, because they have yet to find out how to win small. And I was like, you know what? That's a great point by Yogi because... You know, they lost a lot of close games last year. The Wazoo game, the Hawaii game, they have yet to prove to me that they can consistently win those tight games to win small. Lo and behold, what have these guys done the last seven days? They won small two weeks in a row with no fans in attendance. And that's the other part that I'd be remiss if I didn't mention. I wish fans were there. And it's tough for Beaver Nation not to be able to Revel fully in that victory last night and uh, should have rushed the field and, you know, been there. Jonathan Smith giving a TV interview with Beaver Nation that crowded around him that would run on ESPN and run on SportsCenter and run on all of our local channels for the rest of the week and in years to come. He didn't get that moment. Instead, he got a postgame handshake with Cristobal that probably ticked under one second. And I was a little bit surprised with that. I thought Cristobal would have, you know, and I'm not one to judge necessarily how uh, coaches should talk to the other coach after a close loss in a rivalry game, especially in a pandemic with masks on. <laughs> but I, I was a little bit surprised. I'll put it this way. I took notice that that handshake with Smith and Cristobal was one second and done. That was it. And Smith was trying to say, hey, good job, coach. I got a lot of respect for you. He was trying. And Cristobal was having none of it. The dude was pissed. I do not blame him. I want to be clear. I do not blame him. But I took notice of that. I think Mario Cristobal, he was saying all the right things about how much this rivalry means to Oregon. But I guarantee you, there was no place in his brain where he thought his football team was going to lose this one. And so he's probably as shocked and as stunned as the rest of Duck Nation out there that, in fact, they did lose. And this state, for the next 364 days or so, it's being run by Oregon State Beavers. So congrats to them. You can get your final comments in here at 503-417-7575. Final segment coming up of Judah's Football Show, 9 to 11 a.m., right here on Sports Radio 750 The Game. Back to Judas Football Show.
Talking all things NFL and college football on 750 The Game. The options are not good for the Ducks. Fourth down, they throw across the middle. They are going to pitch it back. And here we go. That ball is on the turf. Beavers are going to scoop it up. Go down, and Oregon State will pull off one of the more improbable wins that the Beavers have ever had in the 124-year history of this great rivalry. What a win for Jonathan Smith and his Oregon State Beavers. It's too bad that Beaver Nation couldn't have been filled in Research Stadium right now. And to have a win like this, the celebration that what took place, we miss those Beaver Nation so much. Um, and because it means a lot to, to so many, uh, especially our in-state kids. Like you mentioned, mentioned Jaden, but we got a bunch of guys from this state. And for them to be victorious is huge. It is awesome for the rivalry. Welcome back. Final segment of Judas Football Show. Been with you since 9 a.m. If you missed any part of the show, well, podcast didn't put it up on 750thegame.com, including conversations with Tyson Alger of The Athletic and Evanson Bernard, former Oregon State running back. He joined us as well earlier this hour, shedding some love on Dem Beeves, getting it done in the end. I predicted an Oregon win, 41-27. One team did score 41 points. And it was the wrong team that I picked. It's Oregon State putting up 41-38. John Canzano at John Canzano BFT on Twitter just put out a really good stat. The second half statistics in the Ducks-Beavers game last night. And I, I say it's really good stats, but if you're a Duck fan, you may not want to listen to this. But time of possession in the second half. Beavers had the ball 20 minutes and 35 seconds. The Ducks had the ball 9 minutes and 25 seconds. The Beavers ran 50 plays. Oregon ran 28. The Beavers scored 28 points. The Ducks scored 14. The Beavers had zero turnovers, and the Ducks had three. Now, keep in mind, Beavers did have a turnover on downs, you want to point out, in that second half, but not a conventional turnover. The Beavers outgained the Ducks in the second half 285 to 169. And on fourth down in the second half, Oregon State went four for five. And Oregon, of course, went 0 for 1. And that is the second half total from the game formerly known as the Civil War. Beavers outscored the Ducks total in that fourth quarter 22 to 7. When this game was 23. 23- Four to thirteen at halftime. I thought Oregon was in firm control. When this game was thirty-one to nineteen in the third quarter, I thought Oregon was in firm control. And in fact, it was right when I thought that Oregon was in firm control that they unraveled. So that is what the rivalry is like. You cannot ever count out the Oregon State Beavers. And to be able to pull off that comeback and that upset with no fans in attendance makes it even more impressive in my mind. And maybe you could argue that the pressure is off with you know the the stadium not filled and and uh, nobody filing out or anything like that. The pressure's off of Oregon State, and they thrived in that environment in the second half last night. They created their own energy, and Oregon was flat, and I did not expect that at all when this one was all said and done. But props up to the Beavers. They have snapped the three-game losing streak to Oregon. They have won in this rivalry for the second time since 2008. That was the first year that Oregon started the eight-game win streak over the Beavers. We remember that 2008 Civil War game 
boy, that was also in Reezer with the Rose Bowl on the line. And ever since then, every, every chance you can get to exercise those demons on the Ducks, Beaver fans will take that opportunity. And they did so in 2016, but at the end of the day, that was a Gary Anderson-led uh, team. You'll take that win, but that was an ugly game between two bad football teams in 2016. This is a much different feel. This is the first time this rivalry has felt a little like 06, 07, maybe a little bit like 08, and even 09 when Rose Bowl was on the line that year too. We're starting to get there, and that's an exciting thing. And I know COVID and all is dampening everything, and no fans, and yada yada. Some Duck fans may say it's an outlier every year, and I get that. You didn't get the strength and conditioning time. You didn't get the tackling time. You didn't get the, the blocking time in training camp that Oregon thrives on so that they can get you know in, in full mode to take on a rival like the Beavers. But you know what? I think the trajectory and the feel of this rivalry is being, it's on the upswing. In a, in a major way, and I think it will continue to intensify. I don't see Oregon State receding anytime soon. I think Jonathan Smith does have a lot of edge to him, kind of beneath that initial layer of uh, humility and uh, others-orientedness. Not to say that he's not others-oriented. He is a servant leader if there ever was one. But he's got a competitive edge, and he wants to beat the Ducks as bad as anybody out there, and he just made it happen for his football team. And it was performed beautifully by Jebbia Jefferson, Colby Taylor, Trevon Bradford, Nathan Eldridge, the entire Beaver offensive line, Luke Musgrave making plays, Katoriano 84 making plays, Jaden Grant, Nashawn Wright, Andre Hughes-Murray. These guys came to play, and these little-known Beavers you look on the field, you're like, who is that? I don't know who that guy is. I don't know who that guy is. The announcers don't know who they are because they can't see through the fog anyway. Those guys beat Oregon as 14-point underdogs. Today belongs to the Beavers. The state for the next 364 days of the rivalry belongs to Oregon State. And this time next year when we get this game back again, it is going to be intense as it has ever been when it reconvenes at Autzen Stadium. And hopefully by that point, we've got fans, because I cannot wait to see what that atmosphere is going to be like when the Ducks look to exert some revenge on their in-state rivals. And they are indeed rivals with a capital R, because the Beavers are on top for this year. More college football is ahead for both of these programs, of course, so I'm very eager to see how the Ducks bounce back against Cal Heartbreak City for Cal, by the way. Holy cow. Did you see the finish to that game last night with Stanford? Oh, boy. I was watching that game. I saw Cal get the touchdown to go down 24-23. I was watching with my wife. And I said, all right, let's switch. We know this game's going to overtime. We'll switch over to the Duck-Beaver game because I didn't want to miss a play from that. And then I see the highlights at halftime, and Cal gets the extra point blocked and loses the big game to Stanford. Heartbreak City for those guys to channel my inner Gus Johnson, and they get Oregon next week. Oregon State, meanwhile, they have no home games left the rest of the way, so they are on the road at Utah and then at Stanford. If they get one win right there in those last two and finish this year 3-3, three and three, that's a win for the season for the Beavers, and they've got back-to-back home wins to uh, close out their home calendar this year. I'm fired up for Oregon State. I'm interested to see how Oregon bounces back. They've got some defensive questions to answer in a big way. But the biggest takeaway I have is that this rivalry is back. It is as intense as it's been in a while, and I think next year it's even going to get more intense. And that's exactly the way you want it if you're a football fan in this state.
I am over time. But it was an absolute pleasure to be with you. Judas Football Show, live and local, one-man show here at the uh, here at the studios in downtown. But it was a, it was a fired-up show. Tyson Alger, Evanson Bernard, uh, big thanks to both of those guys. We'll podcast those conversations as well. You can find me on Twitter, at Judah Newby, and the station, at 750 The Game. LSU, Texas A&M, that is coming up later this afternoon as well with the Aggies needing a win over the reigning national championship champions, LSU Tigers, to stay in the college football playoff conversation. We'll have Sunday night football tomorrow night, Bears and Packers. Monday night football on Monday night, Seahawks and Eagles in Philly. We didn't get to any Seahawk conversation today, and uh, you know that that's a big deal because normally I spend at least one segment talking about my Seahawks. But the schedule definitely eases up a little bit. But something tells me I think we'll see Jalen Hurts in the game on Monday night. So that gives me a little bit of pause. But we'll see how that one unfolds. Judas Football Show, we'll see you again next week, 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. next Saturday. John Cazano brings you the Bald Face Truth on Monday, noon to 3 p.m. Be here for that and all of his reaction. By the way, shout out. JC turns uh, 5-0 today. Don't tell him I said that, but get him on the social media. Happy birthday to John Canzano. All right, thanks for hanging, everybody. We'll return you to CBS Sports Radio, and we'll talk to you next week. Congratulations to the Oregon State Beavers.